Hello and welcome to Goblet of Wine, a drunken Harry Potter podcast. I'm Hannah. And I'm Charlie and we're two 20-somethings rereading our favourite childhood books with added alcohol and cynicism. In today's episode we are reading chapter 10 of Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. So grab a glass of gin. <laughs> What's a cur gin? What's a cur And listen along on this drunken reminiscent journey. Aloha. Hi. So, Hannah, what would we be drinking today? Whoa. <laughs> Wait, no, you need to ask me that. Whoa. Wait, that normally comes later. Why do you want to know it now? Because we're about to ramble on for a long time and I would quite like to drink my drink. Okay. Charlie. Mm-hmm. What are we drinking today? We are drinking something I have had in my cupboard for years now. And it makes me laugh more than it should. Because it's really not that funny. It's called, for no apparent reason, What's a Curgeon? <laughs> Which is so funny. If you've seen Gavin and Stacey. Which, if you haven't, stop listening to us. Yes. Immediately stop. Yeah. Rectify your mistake. Watch all three seasons of Gavin and Stacey. You'll understand English and Welsh culture better. Then come back to us. Yes, exactly. Uh, but yeah, all of the time in that, they're like, they're like What's, What's a Curgeon? <laughs> in their Welsh accents and for some reason I think this is from like Little or Audi classic, I swear classic I can't remember so many years ago they literally just had this bottle called what's, what's a, a curgeon and I just it tickled me alright it, t- it tickled me anything from Gavin and Stacey is great me and Neil called our playlist we went to Wales over the weekend just to go to Wales had nothing to do with Gavin and Stacey but we called our playlist for it uh, where to she now nice just nice. love that yeah. For some reason, it's taffy apple flavour, which... I, it sounds like you're saying a mistake with toffee apple. No, it's taffy apple. Taffy apple. Yeah. I think taffy is, like, an American thing, though. I could be wrong. But, um, which is we- weird, because it's not even... Unless I'm forgetting a reference, is it, it's not something I would associate specifically with, with Gavin, Gavin and Stacey. No, can't. And I've watched Gavin and Stacey a lot. Is it a gin or a gin liqueur? I didn't look... So what strength did you make it? I just did a shot. Oh, so you've only made a single and it could be a gin liqueur. Yep, I didn't look. Oh, my Ooh, God. Oh, wow. Whoa, that's confusing. Mm, um, um. It tastes like drinking a computer. It's got a very... Do you know what? I don't even know how to describe no. that. No. Aside from it, for some reason, tastes like drinking a computer. It's re- I don't dislike it, but it's really weird. I can definitely taste the apple, like the sharpness of an apple. Yeah. And I think I can taste a kind of toffee taste, but it's subtle. It's it's reminding me of something, aside from what I imagine just electronics taste like. That's weirdly specific. You know, I think what I'm thinking it tastes like is apple juice. (laughs) (laughs) It's reminding me of apple juice. Yeah. Is actually kind of like apple juice and tonic. Yeah. Thanks. I like it. <laughs> What's a curgeon? I would love when um, the patrons, thank you, are done um, crowdsourcing all our alcohols forever. We get some statistics up. So how many are gin-based? Because I bet that comes out yeah. as our highest proportion. How many are wine-based? Mm. How many are vodka-based? Yeah. How many are like beer-based? And split yeah. it out like that. Well, if you want to join in with crowdsourcing... We'll put the link in the description. Yeah. 
basically people are trying to go back and write down every single alcohol it's that we the drank. spreadsheet for open to people who aren't patrons it's just an open spreadsheet great so. okay yeah i'll, we'll I'll put... check with the person that's running it to but make yeah sure. it should be open for everyone so we'll pop a link for it if you would like to help us if you're planning a re-listen yeah we don't want to do this work so i did a good 50 episodes that's impressive yeah anyway we must up all this pre-ramble because we have a lot to talk about this episode and the first thing is the many 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 people we have to thank so a squeezy squashed sized thank you to stefan a charcuterie board sized thank you to crystal a Liesel from The Sound of Music size thank you to Lisa. An Astronaut size thank you to Anna. An Abacus size thank you to Ash, who is a new producer-level Patreon. A Malcolm Tent size thank you to Mallory. A Bootylicious size thank you to Sir Bandersnatch, who is a new producer-level Patreon. A... what's the lyric? This ain't a war, it's a goddamn arms race. So I thank you to Ames. If that's the wrong cr- uh, pronunciation, please do correct me. A radio head size thank you to Raul. Uh, again, if that's the wrong pronunciation, please correct me. An ABBA hologram size thank you to Abby, a new producer level patron. A mashed potato size thank you to Melinda. A diva size thank you to Divyesh once again. Please correct me on the pronunciation. A monopoly size thank you to Melanie. A steamboat size thank you to Sarah F. A post-it note size thank you to Paula. A army... <laughs> What's his name? Army, army hammer. Hammer size thank you to Alice. Oh, poor Alice. <laughs> a Thomas the Tank Engine size thank you to Thomas, who is another new producer-level patron. A vaginal canal size thank you to Victoria. A labia size thank you to Lewis. A nostril size thank you to Nelly. I mean, the only size i can think of for mika is mika, mika. i'm sorry he's the is best the mika Please oh my god mika. is it the mika could you imagine if it was the mika i would die i would die i really want to get tickets next time he comes to the uk yes. i'm so sad they sold out instantly on eurovision night absolutely a vortex size thank you to vin a giraffe size thank you to george who has upgraded their pledge and a ron weasley size thank you to rosie all of those people have joined the Patreon and there you get access to. Let's just go over it again really, really quickly. Oh God, they know. At $2 and above, you get access to the Discord. It's great. At $5 and above, you get access to bonus episodes. Now, here's something. We vlogged our entire Florida and LeakyCon trip and these vlogs are fantastic and they are coming out once a fortnight at the moment the first one is already out and the next one will be out in a week from you listening to this yes and there's already been a great reaction to the first one and the second one is far better because i edit them so i get weird with it she gets so weird they've got their own little theme yeah there's little jingles i made some jingles and some intros um i spent like at least half an hour editing these little jingle segment things with my very best editing skills. They're beautiful. I would seriously recommend these Florida vlogs. I almost want to release them publicly because they're so good, but they are for the patrons. So mm-hmm. go watch those. $10 above, you get all of that. Plus, I'll see us a question at the end of the episode. And $20 and above, you get all of that. And you get to pick an alcohol in an episode. Anyway, anyway, do we have a review? Yes. And you can read it to me. So this review is from 
Daniel underscore FMP who says, the best hespy hip... What is wrong with me? Best HP podcast out out there. Anytime I think, great, I can finally tell them apart, I realise that no, I can't. (laughs) I'm still yet to even work out which one is dating Neil. Love all... (laughs) You'll never know. (laughs) I guess we'll never know. Love all the insights into British culture and geography too. P.S. How is it even possible to maintain full-time jobs whilst juggling a podcast? Wendy, I'll sleep. Um, I don't want to be asked that question right now. <laughs> Thank you. That's a great review. Mm-hmm. Which one of us is dating Neil? That's the real question. Is it both it's of Hannah. us? It's the other one. It's, it's not me. It's me. Hi. I think for the most part we don't, but then like every now and then. I fall apart and I need you now. That leads us so nicely onto the next section. Oh no, it does. Look at that segue. Hello. Can I get a round of applause? Well done. The listeners won't get it, but I well, will. Well, some of them will if they've been to Leaky before. We're going to talk about LeakyCon now. We'll put a timestamp in the description if you really don't want to hear about No, Leaky we won't. Con. Fuck you, listen to LeakyCon because it was the best weekend of our lives. Okay, fuck you, listen to us. Mm-hmm. We went to LeakyCon. We did. It was good. The end. <laughs> it's no. go. By the way, it is going to get a bit confusing because you're listening to this episode now with us talking about LeakyCon. The next episode you hear was recorded live at LeakyCon. Yes. We did for the first time ever record out of order for various reasons. So don't let that confuse you. I don't even know where to begin. I genuinely don't. The entire thing feels like a fever dream. But like, I knew it was going to be good. What I didn't realise is how comfortable it would feel as in just like being around people who are so interested in the same thing as you and have like such similar values to you. Like it was such a supportive, lovely weekend. I think one of our main takeaways was that it was, wow, LeakyCon and the Harry Potter community are doing such a good job of becoming a supportive place without supporting JK Rowling. Like I think that was one of my main takeaways of what an incredible job everyone is doing. Yeah, I think a lot of the time when you get communities everyone always talks about community and it can feel really hard to actually like quantify what that is like what it means and how that actually feels and i think for me LeakyCon has always been a thing that when people talk about like loving certain communities to me when i talk about loving the harry potter community it is exemplified by LeakyCon. i think that the harry potter community that we had a decade ago mm. when it was more at its like absolute like peak, peak in terms of you know i mean the films had just finished a decade ago yeah yeah so you know we were a lot closer to it all jk rowling hadn't outed herself as to a terrible piece of shit all of the you know like the star kid the potter puppet pals all of this was like current and going on and like and I just remember it back then and I'm glad I'm sad that I wasn't a few years older to really get into like the whole live journal communities and yeah the the theories and the fan fiction and stuff because a lot of that was kind of older by the time I over by the time I would have been old enough to get into it but it's those kind of things that like really I remember about like the Harry Potter community and that were prevalent when I went to LeakyCon the last time. And then it's felt like that's died out a little bit nowadays because yeah. obviously the films and the books are over. 
um jk rowling's a horrible piece of shit like a lot of like i feel like podcasts are the biggest form of harry potter content creation still going on right now but like for a lot of it has died out a lot of people understandably have turned their back on harry potter but it it has felt like a shame because i think that the harry potter community is such a unique one obviously there's other communities around other fandoms and things but the harry potter one has always been like the largest yeah and like the most creative but like being back at LeakyCon and surrounded by all of these people doing amazing things whether that's the vendors that were selling whether that was the other content creators you know just like all the fans and stuff just doing amazing things doing incredible cosplays we saw gilderoy lockhart singing you're welcome uh whilst handing out signed photos of himself and it was the funniest thing just all of these amazing people doing things and just uniting together over a shared love of harry potter and a shared hatred of jk rowling and it was just the most beautiful thing and it's so cheesy and cliche to say but it felt like being home yeah it was Um, because like i was expecting to find some of the situations quite anxiety inducing just in the way that i we had been flown to a different country to do to perform something in front of a load of people we'd never met that's a lot of anxiety situations and although there were massive nerves it felt like very comfortable and incredible and yeah everyone had such like a shared vision for what they wanted the harry potter community to look like i think and i found that really inspiring so we'll whiz through the kind of weekend and the people we met and some like thank yous we want i mean the people we have to start with the people (sighs) okay we the night before leaky con we had a bit of like a podcaster dinner dinner (laughs) which felt like very youtube circa 2010 (laughs) being like um would you all like to come for dinner and it was the best evening ever i was never been so comfortable around people i've never actually met in real life and like can we just talk about in the hotel lobby the moment when we first saw Sequoia and Kim and it was like no I don't even want to talk about oh. it I don't even want to talk about it I, don't, I listened to it was their like... most recent episode where they talked about us <laughs> and I was like they said something about how they basically followed us around all weekend and I was like no no honeys no were we going in circles we, going we were following you, you. <laughs> but oh my god it was just the like the first when I clocked eyes on them I was like and no. it's like they're real 3D people and they're both really sexy honestly <laughs> it's true though it is true and and they're both the so... nicest and funniest people oh my... i've ever Can met we talk i am about in... how funny they are i am in awe of their sense of humor their sense of humor inspired me like of how i want to be funny wise and i'm skipping forward now but we went to see their live show on the sunday fanatical fix live I am not sure I've ever laughed that hard at like live comedy I've been to. We were both crying with laughter. It was, me and Hannah can be funny. (laughs) (laughs) Like in a way that we just are very British and that we're very sarcastic and laugh at things. And we're just a bit like mean and rude and sarcastic. But they're like... They're the kind of funny that comes with clearly both being very intelligent people. Yeah. Like, they are quick-witted. I think you made this point, but I'm going to take your point because you said it at the time and I, I thought it was, like, a really good way of pointing it out. Thank you. When you listen to their podcast, yes, it's funny, but because we run a podcast, you assume that editing is going on and that there are thinking gaps being edited For out. the jokes, yes. But seeing them live... No, they're doing those jokes they on the fly. Fucking, hammer like just 
those jokes. They just immediate, like immediately funny. Yeah. Just immediate, like say the funniest, quick-witted things just with absolutely no pause. And the way that they bounce off each other and it was so funny as well like chatting to them backstage and then watching them go on stage and you couldn't you could watch them turn Turn it it on on. that was one of the most fascinating things but they are just as funny and even more lovely backstage and also they're my friends now please um we were also (laughs) privileged enough to do three panels with them so panel number one was crack fit lie and it might have been my favorite thing yeah aside from like probably our live show that we did yeah and i was so nervous because we didn't really before that morning know they basically asked us to come on and we were like yeah sure yeah. we're our friends we'll do it and then the morning off i think we were like what what are we doing yeah. and then they were like oh we're gonna be like writing essentially a sentence at a time of a fan fiction but like a purposely silly fan fiction and we were like cool yeah. okay and I was terrified because I don't really read a lot of fan fiction. Mm, Obviously, we've done our little like fan fiction writing challenges, but like I was like, this is going to be like in front of an audience and the pe- no, but the the fan fiction experts. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know anything about fan fiction, and I genuinely just thought because we were in front of live audience that I was going to get handed the laptop and all of the words in the English language were going to leave my brain. And I was genuinely terrified about it. Gen- mm. I was like, I'm not going to be able to think of anything, let alone anything funny. In the end, we just riffed off each other and it was like, not to toot my own horn, but it was hysterical. It was hysterical. Like I feel like I could have done the same thing with them at a sleepover. And it was yes. just great that we got to do it in front of people. Um, yes. I think they're putting what we wrote on not their the website. audio file but the just the the word doc on their the website. website so we recommend you go read it um yeah. if it's already up we'll link it below if it's not we will post it on twitter when it is we then also i'm kind of going out of order here but it doesn't matter we did a panel with sequoia kim and mike from potless mm-hmm. all about podcasting which was fantastic because a lot of the attendees were other fantastic harry potter podcasts and it was such a pleasure to meet so many of them like yeah. who asked questions during the panel and after the panel and it was so much fun we had had a chance to see Mike before the first time we kind of saw him was on this panel and obviously he is just fantastic and is so knowledgeable about things so that was a really great panel and then we got to do a fan fiction pairings that should panel mm-hmm. with Sequoia and Kim which was yeah a, a riot yep mostly consisted of audience shouting pairing at us us reacting to <laughs> shouting <laughs> pairing like, nah. Nah. yeah yeah. <laughs> well, the other people that came to dinner with us, I'm really jumping about, was Bess from the amazing um, Wizard Rock Network, but I think it's Wizard as in R. We'll link it below. We'll link it below. She was so she lovely. Was the loveliest person. And she was also super knowledgeable at the Wizard Rock concert on yes. the Friday night because she literally is an expert in Wizard Rock and I know nothing and need to know more. Yes, exactly. Like we've talked about it quite recently actually for some reason we talked about wizard rock didn't we flight flight yeah and like i have not listened to wizard rock in a decade i am entirely i could not be further out of the loop and then Mm. on the friday night there was this wizard rock gig and obviously bess and sequoia and kim were like really really excited to go and we were like yeah obviously we'll go but like i wouldn't say either of us of us were like in a rush to get there we were like yeah. oh we'll finish our drinks at the bar and then we'll go whereas the other guys like rushed off to do it 
And like, it's not because I, I didn't think it was going to be bad, obviously. If these bands are like experienced enough to get to LeakyCon, obviously they're like going to be good. But it's just not, you know, it's always weird, I think, going to a gig of a band music you've you never don't heard. Have. Yeah, I like going to gigs where I can sing along or like know the music. Whereas this is like, oh, I don't know the music. But oh my God, the artists were just incredible like absolutely amazing so there was tonks and the auras there was um lauren fairweather fairweather i was about to say fairfax and then two others we will link them down we'll link below them all down below we're bad at band names but oh, what was fantastic. the one that we walked in oh, it was the it was the two ladies i've forgotten their band name they were just I amazing. I can't remember, but we'll link them down below. But it's we unfortunately missed the first act, but we walked in during the second. And I was just like, what the fuck? I would listen to this. Yeah. Like it was like they would they they were like a bit kind of like 90s grungy. Yeah. And it was like it you couldn't if you didn't listen to the lyrics, you would never know it was about Harry Potter. Like it was so good. And like, and they also, so they did a cover of Just uh, What I Wanted by The Cars, which is one of my all-time favourite songs, despite the fact I consistently forget the name every single time. Me. But they covered that. The only thing was, they changed the lyrics to be about Harry Potter. Grand. They did it so well. However, I was like, this one of my all-time favourite songs. I was like dancing, trying to sing along. But I was like, I can't. I don't know the fucking lyrics. Mm-hmm. But it was so good. They were genuinely like, so I've actually, I've not, gone and listened to them but i'm definitely going to go and listen to them because they they were were so good yeah the wizard rock concert was amazing and then jumping back to the thursday night the other people at the dinner oh yes but also like go listen to bess's podcast because she is super knowledgeable about wizard rock we're definitely going to be messaging her for recommendations and she's also so lovely like unbelievably lovely like even if you don't think that you will like wizard rock because that i think was probably my frame of mind a bit that i was dubious like i would recommend going listen to words going to listen to her getting some recommendations because honestly i loved it yeah it was great and then the last people at the dinner well, Megan Kate oh, from Special oh, Can we? Oh, I can't. I can't even put into words how much I love them because I'll cry. Like we had not ever massively like we'd emailed a little bit back and forth. Like, yeah, we obviously follow each other on Instagram, yeah, like each other's social stories. media message, but like we haven't collaborated with them yet. It's been in the works for appallingly long and it's never happened yeah whereas fanatical fix we've had lots of back and yeah. forth with so no, we've never super had good like with a proper face-to-face conversation with them before i've listened to like a few of their episodes but like we've never actually talked like talked like verbally like talk to each other and yeah we they're they're native to native to they're, they're, they're <laughs> they orlando in orlando locals so they picked the restaurant and they picked a great restaurant and I just I have found new best fast friends. friends is like the word for it. Just immediate, not even fast. Just like met them and just immediately like they are cool and amazing and so lovely and funny and generous and ah. Uh. Uh, and then at the well, jumping all the way to the end of the weekend, <laughs> we had an extra day at the end, and we were going to go back to um, Universal Studios. Universal Studios because we wanted to see it in the evening, and because they lived in Orlando, they were like, "Oh, we'll come and let's all go out to dinner and we'll pick you up in the." In our car and we were like this is the best evening yeah. of my life 
It and, was so oh. much fun. We got to watch the sun setting behind Hogwarts yes. with them. And they did the light show. And then there was also like a thunderstorm in the background. So we got like added atmosphere and lights. It Then the thunderstorm then hit and was the most torrential rain ever and i cannot wait to edit the vlog footage of this because i think it's going to be brilliant but honestly everyone else was like running and hiding us brits didn't care about the rain obviously they're used to like the florida tropical storm so they just like whatever so we were like the four just like yeah whatever everyone else was like hiding but it was like we were buckets just... being tipped over you constantly and the yeah. four of us just laughing in the rain yeah like something we were just film. it's like a core memory moment like non-stop lightning non-stop yeah. like it was literally like every couple of seconds torrential rain us all crying laughing just drenched through it was oh my god i just want to go back i know and i just i hated leaving them we said goodbye for so long whereas like unfortunately oh, with fanatical god, fix we had to like rush fix goodbye. it's <laughs> another core memory but in a more stressful way we were way. like running around the convention center trying <laughs> to find them because we had like five minutes before we had to go on stage and, and afterwards they would be gone and poor mike who we shouted at because we ran into the green room expecting to see Scott and Kim, and we and went, were ah, there. Mike. And was mike was there and bless him we just went mike where is the and Kim? and he was like they're in the the cellar room and the we vendor were like, room, the red room where we, like, we had come we from just come from there mike it's not mike's fault so we sprint back to the vendor room at this point we are meant to be on the stage now as the clock yeah. is ticking we spot one of sequoia and kim's friends who have come with them um and we're like where is sequoia and kim and they're like they're trying to find you <laughs> and then we hear shouts going around the vendor hall of sequoia 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 and then we just all have to hug and we only have like literally a minute and a half to say goodbye yeah and i was, was like really tearing sad. up and then had to run on the stage like oh yeah but it was probably for the best because yeah then when we had to say goodbye to swish and flick we just all didn't want to go yeah <laughs> we t- took so long doing it it was just so sad it was uh, they um, were just lovely they love taylor swift they love gray's anatomy they love Akatar. The <laughs> like honestly such gems i miss them i miss all of them i miss every single person so much but they were just Oh my god! I just I hate that we can't just hang out with them I know, all, I know. all the time. Bloody Could ocean! You imagine, can they please move to London? Yeah, because then we can just go down the pub all the time. Don't. That would be the best. So other things to point out that we did: we did our live show, which you will hear in the next episode. That was just incredible you'll hear it but Mm -hmm. the nerves beforehand were like no nerves i've ever felt basically i genuinely thought i was going to vomit right there and then especially because we had to ask people attending our own live show where we were meant to be because we're fucking idiots turns out there was like a sneaky little like secret corridor to go from the green room onto the main stage instead we just walked through the door with the audience and everyone's like oh it's you guys and we're like yeah yeah where do we go? Do we and they're like, I don't know, because they were just the audience. And then we went to, all the way back to the back of the main stage. <laughs> to the where, sound guys. To the sound engineers who were just like, um, go backstage. And we're you like, we just... Idiots. So we just kind of walked around the edge of the stage until we just found someone and we were like, help. Yeah. 
Um, that was incredible. We did our pub quiz, which was great. Thank you to everyone who came to that. That was so much fun. And the teams did incredibly. We did two panels with the wonderful Cherry and Chanel. So that's Cherry Wallace from YouTube and Chanel Williams from TikTok so lovely Uh, yeah we'll link them below such wonderful people chanel is again one of the funniest people i've ever i'm obsessed with her the humor from chanel was just hilarious and so lovely as well yep we saw our we saw chris and ness again more of my favorite people i just want leaky con to be an all-year-round thing and we're all just stuck with them yeah and And they they have have to hang out with us yeah um yeah chris and ness who then got engaged yeah a few days after we left they stayed out there and got engaged which is just i genuinely so happy for them honestly they are the, one of the most incredible cups i've ever seen and chris is just so talented and so lovely and can sing hamilton yes oh my god what the fuck is going on yeah melissa obviously the ceo of yes Econ, all our thanks to her and the incredible work that she does but also she is the most generous and lovely person backstage and in the green room she's got time to chat to everyone and she's so cool she's so cool all the people who put LeakyCon on. Yes, we met so many amazing members of staff. Yep. Can you and, remember their names? Uh, we love Tommy. We love Leah. Yes. And we love everyone else. We love literally that everyone so that we hard met. to put it on. And then there's uh, the listeners. <laughs> no, before that we have to address. Who? You know who. I don't know who. Oh yeah, Sean we did Bigger meet Sean Biggestaff. <laughs> Oh, people are going to ask us about it. Yes, we met Sean Biggestar. We yes, had. I sat eating scrambled eggs in front of Sean Biggestar. Yeah, and we'd just be talking and he'd just like chip into our conversations. And he probably thought we fucking hate him because we were just so terrified. The rest of the cast, we would just like sit down, chat to, chat blah, blah, to blah. They chill. are just lovely, lovely, normal human people. <laughs> um, not that Sean isn't. He was so lovely and so Scottish so sexy but like we'd just be like talking like at a table with like us and like maybe one or two other people and like sean would be there and then sean would join in the conversation and me and hannah would just "Uh stop talking and just stare (laughs) not at him though anywhere but at him also i have to talk about the moment where i walked into the green room i could see the back of a male head and sequoia just sitting at the table with the back of the male head looking up at us and going (laughs) Like, I was she like, knew. No. <laughs> she knew. She's like, they have to sit here now. Yep. Oh, other highlights of the weekend before I actually get to thanking the listeners is the Saturday night, which is the Esther Earl Ball. So before that, we ended up hosting some impromptu pre-drinks, which ended up being the most hilarious yes. pre-drinks. With Mike from Potlers and two of his friends. And then Sequoia and Kim. And yeah. ended up on the floor laughing at things just absolutely and that was nice because it was just hanging out as like friends yeah and then we went to the ball and oh my god i'm genuinely not sure i've ever had that much fun in a four-hour period and it felt like it went by in half half an hour 15 minutes honestly i don't understand how we were there four hours we didn't drink that much we didn't black out i know we were having and i was dancing like the music mm. was on point it was so much fun charlie decided to <laughs> abandon ship no 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 okay so one of my like core memories from leaky con 2012 when i went just as like a fan was the essa or L ball when 
like the cast of the film and star kid and potter puppet pals and the green brothers were like all on the stage during total eclipse of the heart mm. which is the song that they play to close leaky con every single year and they were all like dancing on stage clearly hammered and i just remember like looking up at these people genuinely i know this sounds like bullshit but like genuinely looking at these people just like these are the coolest people in the world and that looks like so much fun and obviously i'm not even going to say that i was like oh i hope that's me one day because why would i have thought that why yeah. would i ever think that would be me one day but i told this to hannah beforehand because i was like i wonder if they, if they still, still do that i wonder if stage. um i don't want to presume but what if we were, were on and the th- stage and then like we started getting hints that we might be we got given there was VIP like a vip wristbands and we were in a little vip area that we didn't have to stay in and, and kim we didn't t- and kim told us a story that confirmed that talent did go up on stage the previous year because mike went up on stage um but kim couldn't get up with mike so we were like i think i think we're gonna go up on yeah. stage i think this is the thing but we're not sure because and it we hasn't had been put on these like years. vip like wristbands on to get into that area but we were just in the main area anyway i needed to piss so i went to go pee loser <laughs> When I was in there, I did the classic female thing of making some new best friends in the bathroom. I don't know how it happened, but we were just talking about like chronic migraines and like, and we were sharing like, you know, what we've tried and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, talked to them for ages. Walked back through and we were walking like back to go into the room and they were saying, oh, have you seen that there's like a VIP area? We feel really bad for them because it's just like dead because there's like you know just a few people in there and i was like oh yeah like i didn't want to be like actually i'm a vip so i was just agreeing i was like oh yeah like it looks really dead anyway literally as i said that we then walked through the doors i looked up and saw hannah on stage clearly like screaming at me (laughs) so like the the song was about a minute in at this point i we i had been dancing with like the massive group we were with so we were with sequoia and kim and the friends they had come with and kate and meg and Rhonda, who was incredible we need to shout out Rhonda, and like uh, and all these incredible people dancing and then they made a little announcement and i turned and i saw chanel and cherry going up on stage so i just grabbed kim because sequoia had also gone at this point and just yanked her up on stage so we're dancing and I was like where the fuck is Charlie and then I literally like bat signal spot her walking yeah. in across the hall and I'm like get here no! anyway so about a second and a half after I had just agreed how lame it looked to be I VIP to these poor random girls I met in the bathroom I turned to them and went I've got to go. And within probably about 25 seconds later, I was dancing up on stage as a VIP. They must have been like, this bitch. Yeah, that cow. I was so excited. I rugby tackled Charlie yes. live on stage, knocking over Cherry Wallace's drinks. Still sorry And about we have that, multiple angles of this moment that Hannah just barges through the stage and throws herself at me i just didn't think you were gonna make it before the end of the song anyway that was another weekend highlight that will be in the vlog as well it will be um another weekend highlight as i mentioned was meeting the incredible Rhonda. who yes oh gosh so Rhonda's daughter died in a school shooting a few years ago and since then because leaky invited her she's been every single year and she's amazing she uses her platform to get like incredible change as much change as 
changes you can to mm. the gun laws in the US. She works so hard. She is the most lovely, caring, wonderful, kind person that... And I, je- I don't didn't ever throughout the weekend feel starstruck in front of any of the cast aside from scared of Sean Bickerstaff because he's sexy um but meeting Rhonda was probably the most like starstruck I was purely because we'd heard about her beforehand yeah and, and she does listen to us and has yeah, let us know that and before. we were like just in awe of, of how her. a human being can be that strong and incredible and wonderful and lovely and just how oh just yeah what an incredible person I was just like I don't even know what to say to you because you are just so amazing yeah and we got to like dance with her at the end and being able to do all these things with people just like dance and have fun and that was the great thing about the Esther Elbow we got to dance with listeners and that brings us on to just thank you to all the listeners who a listened to us before and came and said hi at LeakyCon and b all the new listeners that discovered us at LeakyCon hi and welcome yes we met so many amazing people like so many existing listeners so many new listeners two people I want to shout out specifically because they're two of our patrons is Maddie and Melissa not to be confused obviously with CEO Melissa <laughs> um, but they, we both met them hung out with them at LeakyCon they're both our patrons and they were just so lovely and so sweet so I want to give an extra special shout out to those two but everyone we met it was just a fucking delight to me and it was so fucking so it was so weird and surreal because we'd like had photos with people at DreCon before when we did that but that was because people came to see us and they didn't know us yeah. but afterwards they just asked for photos and then became listeners but like this was the first time we've ever met pre-existing listeners yeah and it was so fucking weird yeah it the was first love that stopped us I was just like <laughs> just like it was so so lovely but so fucking weird yeah so weird and but so many people came up to us and thank you so much if you did because it was just incredible chatting to you and hopefully we'll meet more people in the future but yeah wow and i hope everyone that we met stays in touch yes and that's leak on in a nutshell you I feel can like see we've probably forgotten so much but like you probably have you can see more of florida probably less of leaky con that we've talked about in the vlogs because there wasn't much opportunity to vlog no but i am gonna try and include as much of other other people's footage yes. of us on stage and stuff as I can. Yes. So actually, because this episode is coming out in a few days, if you have any footage of us from LeakyCon yes. that you haven't sent, if you could please email it to us, that would be absolutely amazing. So we yes, can include please. it in things. Um, but yeah, thank you so much to LeakyCon for inviting us and letting us be part of it. And thank you all for making it so wonderful. It was, yeah, it was the best weekend of my life. It knocked LeakyCon 2012, which was the previous best weekend of my life. Thank you once again, everyone we met, the entire LeakyCon team, all of the wonder- wonderful friends, both new and old. Okay, we're going to talk about Harry Potter chapter now. Ugh. Ugh, because we're 44 minutes into this recording. I'm, I'm pretty much done with my drink. <laughs> so we're on to chapter 10, The House of Gaunt. Harry follows the Half-Blood Prince's instructions in the book throughout his lessons. And conveniently, Ron can't read the handwriting and Hermione won't on moral reasons. Yeah, so Slughorn thinks he's some kind of genius, but the Hermione thing annoys me because, like, yes, following procedural things is part of Hermione's, like, main, one of her main personality flaws. We know this, but... 
she should have learned from Lockhart. Like her character development has kind of slid backwards because she went through the whole Lockhart thing and it mm. turns out Lockhart was a fraud. Then in book five, you know, Umbridge is the one imposing the rules from the government, but she's corrupt. So Hermione again has to learn that not all things that come from a higher position are true. But yet she doesn't... She's like, oh, well, the legit instructions have to be better, so I'm going to follow them. Like, it's not very good character development and also convenient sanity. Yes. It's also like, I would understand if they were like a completely different recipe. And I would understand, I understand like the bit about like the made up spells and stuff. Mm. But the fact that it, it, for the most part, just seems like altered techniques. Yeah. It's just like, Hermione, it's not that big a deal. It's the difference between slicing and crushing a thing. That's not a different recipe that is somehow inherently scary. That is just a different technique to perform the same recipe. So I don't understand what she's scared of. Do you know what? I don't think it's actually fear at this point. I think it's just stubbornness. Hermione is completely stubborn. And it's plot convenience. Well, Because like Ron not being able to read the handwriting... What, can Ron not read? He's stupid. Speaking of the handwriting, Harry keeps referring to the Half-Blood Prince as a boy um, because it's Prince and he thinks, he then backs that up by saying the handwriting looks like a boy's and Hermione says it might be a girl, which I feel like, correct me if I'm wrong, is the first time that like traditional, air quotes, feminism slash sexism has been brought in like because Hermione's like just because it's intelligent you don't know it could be a girl and Harry's I think this is the point where Harry's like how could I hang around with you for ages like that's that's stupid yeah I'm Um, not sure if it's it's probably not the first but it's definitely like one of the kind of biggest moments yeah I just feel like often up until this point we've seen that the wizarding world is less sexist than the muggle world in terms of like a lot of different things Mm. um and now Hermione's like it could be a girl yeah so it's time for Harry to go to Dumbledore's office for his lesson yeah and on the way he passes Trelawney and she's shuffling a deck of cards. So Harry like ducks behind a statue so that she doesn't see him. And she's like muttering predictions to herself. And the predictions that she's muttering are correct. Like, so she reads conflict, dark omen, violence. And then this is what gets me after those conflict, dark omen, violence she goes from like one word to like a phrase to a dark dark young man possibly troubled who dislikes Dislikes the the questioner questioner. it's a bit specific after a couple of phrases i thought okay so i don't know much about card reading but no but also this was another point these cards are specifically referred to in the texas tarot cards that's not how tarot cards work well i thought like she pulled three one which was like dark one which was this and then putting them together got this prediction but like that's not how they (laughs) i don't know but the thing is she's right because draco is a young troubled man who dislikes the questioner i.e snape oh i know i that's not what how i read this at all oh i think she's talking about draco and snape no she's talking about her and harry because harry's hidden right there she's the questioner because like she's asking the tarot cards a question she is predicting a dark because it's like a dark young man draco's blonde no i didn't see it as well i wrote down a young troubled man i no 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 so 
I think the quote is, a dark young man, possibly troubled, who dislikes the questioner. I have always presumed that meant dark as in, from a dark background, a dark, troubled soul. And I mean, presumably it's written to be interpreted in multiple ways. This isn't a yes or no situation. To me, I thought, I have always read this as a funny moment because Harry's right there hidden and she's pulling the cards Uh. and predicts that Harry is right there. Uh, I've always read it as uh, one of her weird predictions that are silly but come true and it's about Draco and Snape because Snape is the questioner. No. Uh. I don't know. It might mean both, but to me this has always been like a comedic Let us know which you think it is. Yeah. That's funny. I also, um, what I like about this interpretation is I like to think that Harry wasn't actually hidden. He just thought he was. And this is her basically being like, Harry, I, I know I you're there. I see you. And Harry's like, I'm great at hiding. Yeah. Harry doesn't realise he's actually five foot eleven. Yeah, he point. actually, he thought he was bringing the invisibility cloak. It was just a cloak. So he's just standing against a wall like, <laughs> she can't see me. She can't see me. I'm invisible. I'm invisible. So Harry enters Dumbledore's office and Dumbledore's like, hi, we're going to be learning some things. And Harry's like, you said you would tell me everything last year. And Dumbledore's like, I told you everything that I know to be true from now on. It's guesswork, not fact. Well, specifically, he says... From now on, he might be as wrong as Humphrey Belcher, who invented the cheese cauldron. Um, All I have to say about that is hashtag justice for Humphrey Belcher. Sounds tasty. Sounds great. Sounds tasty. Yeah, it wouldn't work with hot liquids, but you've got a fondue. Yeah. Everyone loves fondue. Everyone loves fondue. Put the cheese cauldron inside the normal cauldron. You've got a lush fondue. Yeah. Funnily enough, Dumbledore's guesswork is um, spot on throughout the rest of the book. So of course it is. Of course it is. So Dumbledore says they're heading into memories. To, he gets like, out the pensieves. Pensieves to start uncovering the past. And Harry's like, will this help me? And Dumbledore's like, yeah, duh, otherwise I won't be telling you. Fucking idiot. So they're heading into Bob Ogden's memories. S- some great names in this chapter. Bob We've had Ogden. Humphrey Belcher and now Bob Ogden. Bob Ogden. I also find it so funny because so, like, 99.9% of Harry Potter characters have really, like, whimsical names. Mm. And then we just have... Bob. 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 I was about to say that I think it's because Bob is meant to be a muggle-born, but then we have Hermione, who's a muggle-born, and has got... Hermione. Hermione! So that doesn't really work. But even, like, you know, you've got, like, Vernon. Yeah, that's true. Dudley. Yeah. Petunia. Exactly. So that's it's like, true. you know, they all have like whimsy. I think you've got Bob. Bob. Ogden. Bobby. Hey, no, wait. He's part of the magical law enforcement. That's the police and he's a Bobby. Bobby is slang for police. Fun. It might not You know what else is slang for police? Pigs. Yeah. Yeah. You also at this point start to realise how much Dumbledore is manipulating the flow of information because... He's obviously choosing the exact order we see these memories. He's already said to Harry, yeah, yeah, I told you everything last year, but it was only what I knew. This is guesswork. Yeah. Mm. And then Harry's like... It's all lies. It's all lies. And then Harry's like, what happened to your hand? And he's like, I'm not going to tell you yet. Uh-huh. Like, Dumbledore is very much in control. Like, he only wants to answer what he wants Harry to know at that exact moment. Yeah. He's very... He's spilling the tea when he wants dripping that tea yeah anyway 
So we join Bob Ogden as he's walking. I think it must say like from little to great Hangleton or something. I don't know. We read this weeks ago. I but wrote my... the heading to little Hangleton. But there's, I think there's definitely a mention of a great, great Hangleton. Hangleton. I think and it I was can't four remember miles like to great one to yeah, little. it was essentially some reference. I only wrote this note because we were supposed to record it like two days late yeah. or like the next day, and it's but now month. it's weeks later. Yeah, but anyway, I just like this as a little like just like British thing because I like where I grew up was a village called Little Something, and then there was like half a mile down the road a great same something so we but then the great something was actually smaller. smaller than the little something so we had east claydon okay mm-hmm. west claydon mm-hmm. that makes sense upper claydon right so whoever named these wasn't aware of north and botolf claydon <laughs> what Botolf Clayton. Botolf. These are all in within a mile of each other. East, west, upper, and Botolf. Anyway, the point is <laughs> English English villages are weird. Yeah. I just like this as a place name because I'm like, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. But also, if you're really concentrating, you'll be like, huh, I recognise that name. Mentioned in chapter one of book four, so it was. Ah. Ah. So they head down a small track to a building surrounded by trees. And then a man leaps out of a tree, and my note says, much like the way our Pat's leaps out of a tree yeah. in the Goblet of Fire film. Yes. That is how I imagine Morfin leaping out of the tree. Yes. However, uh, just specifically a dirty man, because, you know... Poor people are dirty. He also has eyes pointing in different directions. Yeah, no, that was my next note. Um, His eyes point in opposite directions. He's got missing teeth and matted hair. Harry thinks he might have looked comical, but he looks scary. Like, I had this chat... I'm just going to have to bring it up now. I had it written down for a bit later when we get Merope. I hate that pronoun. But, like, I'm pretty sure the... The audiobook says Merope because I hate it because I always le- read it as Merope. I've always read it as Merope. But then Stephen Fry says Merope I and I be, hate it. I am choosing to continue saying Merope. I prefer Merope. Ha- you can all no, ha- because, take issue with that. Yeah, I hate Merope. No, Merope's horrible. Um, but yeah, it's late- like morose. Like she's morose. She's Merope is how I always thought it was based on. Yeah, you know, like- I just read it phonetically. But um, yeah. We later on have the line that high rise point in opposite directions as well. And it's just like, I, there's, I mean, there's a lot going on here and it's going to be quite hard for us to separate several, several themes going on. You know, it's <laughs> so like... So many combining themes in it's this like, chapter. Like, is this because they're poor or is it because they're inbred? Because inbred. there seems to be like a weird amount of like demonising of inbred people in this chapter. Not seems... There just is. No, there, there is. is so much demonizing of inbred people. I'm sorry. Incest is bad. Do not do incest, <laughs> right? Charlie Ward. <laughs> incest is bad. Don't fuck your siblings. Yeah. I don't care if they're stuck in the fucking washing machine. Put your penis away. <laughs> anyway, um incest bad, right? Yes. That is not, not the, the fault of fault. the like products of incest. No, no. Why are you 
being horrible and demonizing them why are you then adding on like a sprinkled bit of classism of like describing them as dirty i just there's so many layers to this chapter that we're going to try to unpack some of them but we can't even begin to unpack all of them because yes a lot of it is demon not it's very clear that these two characters all three of these characters are inbred and this is explained within the text because they are so stringent on keeping their pure blood line. They have become inbred. As we've mentioned in previous episodes, this has been set up in the books. Hagrid has said, if we kept marrying our cousins, we'd die out. Like, mm. we know this is a thing. And now we're seeing the consequences of that thing. But it's uncomfortable to read because she's also not only describing them as looking, you know, cross-eyed, which I don't actually know if that's a product yeah. of inbreeding or whether that's just like the 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 trope of inbreeding. Yeah. She's also describing them as incredibly stupid. Like, not not actually... Well, she's not... Merope Mar- Mar- is meant to be, like, relatively intelligent, but she's describing them in quite a... a definitely Morphin and um, Marvolo they, as, as dumb. Yes. Well, I wouldn't say dumb, but I would say that they're, like, coded to have some kind of learning disability. Yeah. I think is a better way of phrasing it than dumb. But it's like, I am admittedly not an expert on incest and the people that are the product of incest... And maybe, I don't know, maybe you had a family like this that was generation after generation. But definitely, I don't feel like, and correct me if I'm wrong, someone, but I don't feel like you normally have people that are literally, like, cross-eyed because of incest. And maybe that is just because it's supposed to be, like, you know, all all of these generations. But it's like, I thought that the thing with incest was, I mean, sometimes I think it's fine. But I think it's more about that, like you have a higher likelihood of getting some diseases because obviously you kind of have a double of some genes and stuff like that. Like, I don't know. I'm really not an expert on this stuff, but I thought it was always that kind of thing. And yeah, maybe it's just because it's like hundreds of generations of inbred people in this family. But it's so icky to be like, and their eyes pointed in different uh, directions and they had learning disabilities. It's just like, ooh, ooh, it's someone with a learning disability. I'm like, ooh, that's a bit, um... Well, but I think part of that isn't just diseases. There is a higher chance of learning disabilities with inbreeding and it it also skips a generation. So it's not with, if two siblings, it's not their kid, it's it's the next kids. And that might be true and it might not be true again. I don't know enough about it, but this is, this is a children's book. (laughs) And this is just a lot. It's a lot in there to unpack here. Yeah. And then it's the weird demonizing plus the whole poor people are dirty and have missing teeth and matted hair. Really? Like, I mean, I don't imagine Morphin uses a toothbrush, but I could be wrong. But like, that's just weird. Like, why? Why doesn't he use a toothbrush? Like, why? Because he's poor? Because he's in... Like, why? Because these people don't... I don't know. It's just the way they're written. They're just... Yeah, because it's demonising certain people. Yeah. Yeah. It's like that belief that people that are like poor or whatever i think she's don't doing take care of themselves i think she's doing it because especially for marvolo she's demonizing it because it's his own 
fault but actually we learn later in the text it's not even his own fault we learn from Dumbledore the money was squandered two generations before Marvolo so he was also born into poverty so it's also not his fault he's just inherited this massive pride in this pure blood line because it's the only thing he can cling on to so like we're meant to see it as yeah maybe she's demonizing them because they have refused to get themselves out of this situation by attending Hogwarts even though they're allowed to, by mixing with other wizards or muggles or anyone else. But this is generational trauma and also poverty that's been passed down. Yeah, the entire thing is just icky and disgusting. And it's just like, these are, they are like presented to us as like the villains of the story. And it's like, oh, these people are poor and ugly and disfigured therefore they must be baddies and like and i know i can already hear you guys typing oh but then we have good looking tom that is also kind of a baddie but it's like i mean you know not i'm sorry not to defend a white cis male that's very clearly a tory but like he's a victim he might not have been very nice and polite to the family but that doesn't make him a villain especially when he then later you know becomes a victim i mean i think honestly what i wrote later in my notes is what the text is presenting us with is everyone in this chapter is a victim everyone even marvolo is a victim like there is no you are the villain of this story i don't know i think these people are definitely like yes I agree, they're also victims, but I don't necessarily think that that comes across in the text. I think what we have in the text is these are these bad people that were like attacking people mm. and like inbreeding and like doing like XYZ. I, I don't personally think that this chapter has the nuance. I don't think that you can say that, oh, um, they're victims because they're upbringing the incest and the poverty and blah, 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 when this chapter is describing them in the way that it does. I don't think it's presenting them as like some nuanced thing where they're like also victims i think it's just like these ugly disfigured people are therefore our villains i think it is right until the end of the chapter where dumbledore does his post explaining where he explains that the money was squandered generations before and that by the time morphin returned from prison Marvolo didn't live to see morphin come back like there's something so sad about that that i think that is when you realise that Dumbledore also feels sorry for them and actually these aren't the villains they are. They are also victims. That, for me, is when it became everyone in this little tale is just as tragic as the rest of them and no one is the villain. Like, Harry was seeing it as they are the bad people and then Dumbledore's like... That's the way I've always always interpreted it. Like, actually, everyone was a victim and that's why this situation occurred yeah i i disagree because i don't think that not having money makes you a victim necessarily and i also think that like the bit in the end when it's like oh he like didn't live to see him come back blah 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 i'm like yeah because he was a horrible old man that couldn't sustain himself without abusing his daughter Mm. like without his essentially like made daughter to look after him he perished and i'm like i don't feel like that's a sad thing i want the fucker to die because of what's been presented in this chapter of their their words of in this chapter of them being like these evil horrible family blah 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 yeah 
So this man jumps down from the tree and he's speaking in parcel tongue and says, go away. And Harry's kind of like, why is Ogden stupid? Like, why can't he understand this? And then Harry kind of slowly realizes, oh, he's speaking parcel tongue. Okay, so these are sneaky people. He curses Ogden straight away and an older man appears. And this is marvolo and this older man immediately asks if ogden is pure blood without actually knowing why ogden is here and ogden's like i'm gonna ignore that question um i'm here to see your son morphin bob says like oh i don't think that's like here nor there and then harry thinks that like he then really respects bob yeah. and i really i like this moment yeah of like both from bob and also from harry like recognizing that he's like yeah this is a thing that has made me like respect this person yeah and it's also nice because i think there's like a lot of complicitness in the wizarding community mm. where it's like even if you aren't a pure blood a lot of them t- tend to let that kind of thing slide so i re i it, Big from Bob is what I'm saying. Yeah, and it's the way um, he doesn't get angry about it. He's just like, like that's neither here or there. Let's carry on with what I'm saying. Like it, Bob, for the most part, handles this very difficult situation in a very good, good way. Then basically, he tries to say, like, oh, I just hate this so much. Basically, he ba- tries to say that he's not pure blood because he's like, I've seen noses like yours down in the village. there is so much to read into this line like this is an obvious you know comparison to be drawn between how jewish people were treated in the war which is like i genuinely didn't mean this as a joke but i very almost just said it's very on the nose (laughs) um (laughs) nice one but it is very on the nose and it's that kind of thing where i'm like "Mm, you know we've talked a lot before about how using certain things as like metaphors is like questionable but sometimes has a place especially in works of fiction aimed at children to help them understand certain concepts but this is so specific that it is deeply uncomfortable to specifically be like oh no you must be like a member of this group of people because i've seen noses like yours before it's just oh did jk have to quite go that far it's icky because like growing up i'd always read it as just like a throwaway comment like you might say about any feature and it wasn't until i was older when i learned more about like insults to like particularly like jewish people in jewish communities that i was like um you could have picked anything if you were going to write this like what is meant to be if you meant it as a throwaway line you could have say i've seen ears like yours down in the village couldn't you like you didn't you didn't have to do that did you that's the thing like if you meant it as a as a throwaway insult that someone who doesn't because the thing is but she definitely didn't mean it as a throwaway yeah i just can picture her writing this pausing after this line and patting herself on the back like i'm i'm so i'm such a good person uh for letting people know that actually anti-semitism is bad i'm so i'm so good for pointing out that you know maybe the nazis shouldn't have categorized whether someone was jewish based on their appearance and it's just like 
Like, it's... May, maybe don't play with that for your, like, whimsical wizarding world. It also um, probably would have been fine if the books weren't riddled with other cases of anti-Semitism. If this was our only <laughs> instance, well, it would have been I like, hey, mm. not great, but all right, we'll let it slide. Like, whatever. But as your books have a lot of other anti-Semitism in, we're not going to let it yeah. slide, are we, yeah. Joe? Anyway, Joe. I remember us reading... We read this chapter in America and we were by the pool and I remember the moment we were, like, by the pool on the sunbeds and I read this line and I remember going, <laughs> yeah so they're inside the house now and Ogden's like ah another person uh, a girl is in here and we're introduced to Marope who we will be pronouncing like that who is Marvolo's daughter she also has eyes pointing in opposite directions and Harry thinks that she looks defeated, defeated. Well, I, I can picture that look yeah that's an alright description as in just in terms of looking defeated it's a very sad line I think especially when you consider like what I think we can read the between the lines probably happened off the page yeah exactly I think that low those couple of lines does a very good job of telling you how Marope has grown up yeah pretty much so Marope drops something and Marvolo screams at her because she goes to pick it up manually which I feel like even if you're a wizard and you drop something you would just bend down to pick it up yeah. because it's harder to pull your wand out but whatever and calls her a squib absolutely screams at her and Ogden like repairs the pot hands it back to her and tries to diffuse the whole situation whilst Marope just tries to like fade into the fucking wall so Ogden then says he's here because Morphin has broken the law and before you can say what he's even done Marvalio starts screaming that they can't be ordered about you can't tell me what to do we can do what we like proper like um Oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, basically, no law applies to me because I'm a pure blood wizard and I can do exactly what I like. Yeah. And he- um, I do quite, I do actually quite like this as like just a comparison between your average white Tory male. You know, just like all those people, like the Boris Johnsons of the world that think because they have money and come the from X Y Z family them. that the laws literally don't apply to them. Yeah. Literally, Boris Johnson. Yeah. Yeah, he literally, and he tries to prove this by waving a ring in Ogden's face. And he's like, I'm pure blood, therefore I don't have to listen to you. And this shows it because it has the Peveril coat of arms, which is the first time we've heard yeah. the word Peveril. And then he drags over Marope because she's wearing a heavy gold locket that he says was Slytherin's. So we've got two objects being presented to us right mm-hmm. now of importance to the plot. Ogden is unimpressed by these objects. He's like, that doesn't have a fucking bearing on this situation, does it? But before they can carry on, two people pass by the house on yeah. a horse and it's described as some jingling I'm like are these horses wearing multiple bells yeah. why are these horses jingling just, so much they've just got that that many money in their pocket that many <laughs> money in so their pocket rich they are jingling as they yeah. walk so it's a girl and a boy and the girl calls the house a hovel and says can't your father do anything about that and he's like well yeah some old tramp lives there yeah and she's like oh no there's a snake nail to the door and then tom says that the sun isn't right in the head further like you know adding to the learning disability yeah it's like uh, evidence pile and also i mean the girl is more audacious in her 
a presumptiveness of being like, why can't you have this house that people clearly live in? Just moved away. Just yeah. move the house away. Yeah. And this is what I mean, like, with the whole Tom Riddle senior and not actually being that bad for like a white cis Tory male. But like, yes, might not be uh, the most politically correct thing to say, not right in the head. However, I actually think given when this was set, mm, that's the a 1940s. surprising... 40s? That is a surprising amount of like sympathy. Like it's relatively kind to be like, oh no, but they're not right in the head. Yeah, that's this, why. this is the thing. This chapter is set in, yeah, the 1940s or the late 1930s. And he's basically saying to Cecilia, oh, just ignore it. There's nothing we can do. They're not right in the head. Just basically saying, leave them be. It's yeah. fine. Like, you know, obviously nowadays, that's not how we would handle the situation. However, for when it's set and for his background, I actually think that it that's quite kind. Yeah, it's all, it's all right. It's all right. So Morphin then starts goading Marope once the jingly jangly horses have jingled off saying she likes looking at that muggle and she was waiting to watch him ride home last night and this is where we learn that actually the muggle that Morphin cursed was Tom on the jingly jangly horse Mm -hmm. and he did it because Marope in his in his words hangs out the window waiting for him um fuck Morphin for saying this in front of Marvolo when he knows what the father will do. Like, obviously, Morphin is a piece of shit, but, like... Yeah. Wow. And, yeah, it kind of ties all the information together of why Morphin did what he did, even though it was a horrible thing to do. So Gaunt just, you know, starts strangling Marope. As you do. Um, I think before writing this chapter, JK had watched one too many Simpsons episodes. (laughs) Why? Because, you know, um, home, home always oh, strangles like, bar. Yeah. Because, you know, comedy. Comedy. Yeah. So Ogden throws him off, which... Go Ogden in this scene. He's really doing... Yeah. I feel like he should have turned up to this house o- with some backup. Ogden's got big dick energy. <laughs> he really Let's does. Let's be honest. Until Morphin starts attacking him quite viciously and Ogden runs away and just careers straight into the side of the horse which i don't know why it's just a funny image in a very depressing chapter of this man just bouncing off the side of a horse Mm. and this is where tom and the girl are proven to be a bit of a dickhead because they just laugh at him and don't ask if the man who just ran into the side of their horse needs any help no to be fair this would be me i would piss myself laughing horses are massive massive. and also smelly (laughs) If you manage to run... I get that he was panicked, so I get why. But from the point of view, if you're just riding a massive fucking horse and some man just ran full on into the side of it, Boing. I would not be able to ask if he was okay because I would be crying laughing. <laughs> that is what these two do. They just cry laugh and Ogden just sprints away down Maybe the Maybe I'm a bad person, but <laughs> that's funny. Yep. Dumbledore then goes, it's time to go. And we never learn how they get up, Betsy. Just go. I just want to know how you leave it, Charlie. I want to know. You just go. How do you go? You just decide. No. I need to go. Okay. No. No. So then Dumbledore starts his monologue about what happens You know what would be funny in the pensive? If, like, when the memory ends, 
it auto plays another one on shuffle like on youtube when you finish a youtube video <laughs> like imagine if harry was watching this and like dumbledore's like oh let's go and harry's like oh one sec i'm looking at this and like looks off but then the memory ends and like one gets put on shuffle and all of a sudden he's watching dumbledore get railed by grindelwald <laughs> and dumbledore's like let's go let's, let's go, go harry let's go. come here we've got to I mean, we know they do play back to back because Harry pours all of Snape's in in book seven and they just play. They yeah. just play. So it's true. They just... You don't have to leave and go back in. Well, no, they do go in time order in Snape's ones at least. Yeah, but imagine if... I don't know, but then it's like different, I guess, when it's... Because what if... Because I assume this is the only Ogden memory. Of so the then would it not just maybe default to a random one of Dumbledore's? Only if it's in the potion. I think, like, Dumbledore has only poured Ogden's in. But he stores loads in the pensive already. No, he stores them in little glass jars. Oh. He takes them back out. He might back have out. accidentally left a few in. He might have done, but he really likes to watch in the bank. evening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah his yeah. favourite ones yeah. to watch in the evening. Ah, <laughs> oh, Harry, leave! <laughs> So yeah, Dumbledore then starts his little monologue. So Morfin and Marvolo are revealed to be Voldemort's grandfather and uncle. And they got sent to Azkaban. Harry's already kind of worked this out because he knows that Tom is called yeah. Tom Marvolo Riddle. La la la. They're violent because they're inbred. And money was squandered generations ago. And, you know, poor inbred people are violent. Yes. Obviously. Marope is Voldemort's mum and Tom, the jingly jangly horseman, is Voldemort's father. And I love this because Harry, bless him, is like, they ended up married? Because you have to be married Harry's to Harry's a little innocent sex. when he's like, how did they end up married? married? It's like bestie. One night stands exist. Harry, please. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I didn't realise till I read this chapter, it's confirmed that Marope was 18. Nice. So, like, obviously, she does a terrible thing, which we're yeah. about to get onto. Obviously, she does a really terrible thing. But she is 18. And has been so abused. Yeah. And this is so sad. This whole thing thing is just so tragic and she's so young and hasn't been allowed to go to school or ever meet anyone else yeah yeah like you can see how she would lack a certain socialization to be able to fully comprehend what she's doing as well as i think we can assume and like just just consider this whole next section massive section a massive trigger warning for all kinds of sexual assault but i think we can uh, you know assume that she was probably sexually abused by her family. I don't reading think it's between out the, lines. the realms of possibilities. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I'm not saying that obviously in a way that I'm saying that then excuses what she does. Absolutely not. However, you can understand that when you're completely isolated to the outside world and you're abused in a certain way, you might not necessarily know that that is abuse. Like it's a very common thing in families like this where the children are kept isolated and imprisoned and abused that they it takes them a very 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 long time sometimes never until they're rescued to actually realize that that's not what life is and that that isn't what families do to each other because they do not know and obviously you know 
I'm assuming here that she was sexually assaulted by her family because I think that we can assume that. Mm. I think that personally, I read the line of her looking defeated as saying a lot. Mm. Obviously, that could refer to the other types of abuse that we do know that she suffered, but I just think that we can assume that, you know, they were abusing her in that way. I think we can read between the lines. Obviously, that might not be the case, but... Well, if it we was also, the case, it we, is we a very different... That they, that, that they inbreed to keep it in the lines, so that's exactly. another bit exactly. of evidence there. But yeah, even if, you know, if that was what was going on, obviously it's still very different to what she then went on to do to Tom. It's the same thing in a different way. So, you know, she might not even realise it's the same thing. I'm not trying to defend her, obviously, because, you know, rape is bad. But I'm just trying to, like, explain, I guess. Yeah, the the older I get and the more that I read this chapter, the more that everything is such a product of terribly abusive, horrific situations. Marupa had never met anyone that wasn't Marvalo and Morphin, we can essentially assume. Mm -hmm. She was, at the very least physically and emotionally abused, forced to cook and clean, never allowed out the house, like Mm -hmm. never socialised. She was never going to know what was right from wrong. And she was also still not only 18, but mentally she would have been even younger than that because of the abuse she'd suffered. She was, she is a product of the horrific, horrific abuse she suffered. Mm -hmm. and, And that doesn't excuse what she does, but it does explain it and it also ties into this obviously like what jk rowling is building here is just this incredibly tragic backstory to explain where voldemort came from yeah and it's it's also interesting as well because i think that how i always read this was oh she fancied him so she you know used love potion and do this uh, did this thing and obviously that is a factor of it and that's what's presented to us in the text but i think we also need to talk about the fact that not only was this just like a teenage girl being like oh i like this boy but he was also like a wealthy man mm. that could support her and get her out of the abusive situation yeah. that she was stuck in. 100%. For her, this probably wasn't just about like, oh, I think he's attractive, so I'm going to, you know, do this to him. But it was also a way out. Yes, yeah, it was and a way obviously out. obviously that doesn't make it okay. You can't abuse someone to escape your abuse. But it definitely does add like a layer of nuance. Yeah, she took the only way of saving herself that she thought was open to her because yeah. she didn't know any other ways because when she when would she ever have learned any other ways she's an educator she can't go and get a job that isn't on her radar of things that she can do she took the only option she thought was available to her yeah so yeah dumbledore believes that when she was finally left alone and these two men disappeared she was like i need to get out this is my chance and she Dumbledore believes she used a love potion on Tom this isn't actually confirmed this Mm -hmm. is Dumbledore's belief but Um, it's gonna be true everything he says is always yeah it's gonna be true so like the other option is Imperial or something like that but Dumbledore believes it was a love potion which is hard to brew so go probably easier than sustaining Imperius yeah yeah yeah. I'm just saying like she must have had some potion books in the house i guess and within a few months of using this potion they'd run away and she was pregnant so then dumbledore goes on to say that he then believes that marope probably thought by the time she was pregnant and it was actually like 
showing exist like it's clearly a baby yeah was like oh he probably loves me for real now or and we'll he'll stay, stay for, for the, the baby. baby which if again if this is set in the late 1930s early 1940s is a lot more realistic than thinking that no. nowadays like yeah you, you i think dumb yeah there's also the possibility that like she grew a conscience or ran out of potion or you know but yeah yeah and she was so in love with him she recognized that what she was doing was wrong yeah but yeah, there's like several options, but Dumbledore kind of puts forward his theory that she thought he would love him, her back and stay, which is very sad. It's very, very sad. And also, yes, obviously at the end of the day, Tom should have run away, but there is more truth in the fact that it's more likely a man would stay in the early 1940s for a pregnant woman than it is nowadays because there literally weren't many options for pregnant women in the 1940s apart from like go to a home and have your baby taken away from you or have unsafe abortions yes which the text kind of implies it's too late at this point but tom leaves runs away and within a few months the town of little hangleton here that he's basically saying he's been hoodwinked Yes. Or tricked. Yes. And before we jump into the love potion thing, there's also the villagers guessed that Marope lied and said that she was having his baby and that's why he went off with her. Yeah. Now, I don't know. I've never made a baby. But I've heard rumours that sex is involved. Yeah. So it's like the villager going, yeah, he probably fucked her and that's fine. But no, she's the bitch for lying that she was pregnant. Yes. Because women are always the villains. This is set in the early 1940s. And it was a woman's fault if she got accidentally pregnant in that time. But it's like the villagers are just fine with the the fact that he might have fucked her. Possibly fucking the uneducated young 18 year old girl who was suddenly vulnerable and alone. That's fine. Yeah. But no, she's a bitch because she might have lied disgusting disgusting what must he have bloody thought when he when the love potion worn off mm. like do you remember this is a question do you remember do the you feeling remember the do you remember no we were going different songs oh do you remember don't worry uh-huh. i was gonna say do you remember like the actions you've done when you've been under the influence of love potion and the feelings you had Presumably it doesn't wipe your memory when you're off it. I like to picture that it's like being drunk. Right. Yeah, in that, that would you make all sense. like probably remember bits but blurry and confused and weird. Yeah. Yeah, he tightails it out of there. And then this all brings us to an incredibly prevalent Harry Potter theory online. Yes, which we have discussed before with Black Girls Create. Yes. Which is that Voldemort is evil because he was conceived under the influence of a love potion yeah so i've always liked this theory and then when we discussed it with black girls create i very temporarily came around to not liking it before (laughs) then actually just going back around the other way so their point essentially was that oh like it's ridiculous to say oh just because you were conceived in a like not loving relationship that you can't have the ability to love but that's that's not how i read it it's not that they weren't in love therefore he can't love the way that i've always interpreted this feeling this feeling this theory and i can't fight this feeling is that basically how okay i'm trying to think how to describe this is that like okay so you like you pass down like certain traits and stuff through your genes into your baby and and stuff like that and i think that how i kind of picture it working you have like 
at least not really in Harry Potter, but kind of in Harry Potter. You have like laws with magic about like energy and how things have to come from somewhere. Like you can't just magic food. It's got to come from somewhere. And I think a lot of the time in like other magical texts, we don't get it expanded enough in Harry Potter is Mm. the idea that like energy can't come from nowhere. It has to come from something. Like there is always a link. There's always somewhere it's coming from. So I kind of interpret this theory that what the love potion is doing is that it has to get the love from somewhere that that love that the person under the influence of the potion is feeling can't just be created out of nothing Mm. so the way that i've always pictured it is that and it's really gross but that love is coming from the semen or the egg and that is actually being taken right from the tom riddle's balls right the love balls yeah yeah, so that those, you know, his his semen then, it's taking all of the love that they would have had. Right. And then that is the love that's being used to create his feelings for Moreau. Right. And then that, therefore, is when they reproduce, is why Voldemort can't feel love, because that love was already taken. Right. So that's how I picture it. So it's not that it's just like, you know, you have a one night stand and don't love each other. Obviously, your your child can feel love. But I more picture it in a kind of magical law sense of that love has to come from somewhere and that is coming from the cells i know that doesn't actually make biology scientific with sense. Charlie. <laughs> yeah yeah that's how well science isn't real first of all no but you you obviously that doesn't make scientific sense but it's magic right okay yeah so i've always despised this theory and it is my least favorite theory in harry potter and it doesn't actually come down to the the science of it not working or the logistics of it not working that any love making without are there love. any ball sacks in your there's no ball sack <laughs> it's nothing to do with well oh, clearly if you i don't, win <laughs> if you don't have sex if it's a one night stand and you're just friends your baby won't have any love it's more to do with the overall literary i like themes. how your idea of one night stands are like with friends hannah sometimes sometimes they're strangers yeah okay and that baby can never love no i'm joking i think it comes for me the reason why i hate it is because i think it goes against one of the inherent themes of harry potter so Mm -hmm. this whole argument basically where you fall on it falls into nature versus nurture was voldemort born evil or did he become evil and this is like a wider topic that's explored in so many different bits of history and literary things like and no one really knows the answer okay like there is no actual answer for why some people are turn more evil than others but for me one of the main themes of harry potter can be summed up in that line that dumbledore says that it's our choices that show who we truly are far more than our abilities and for me one of the like big things in book seven is the parallels between harry snape and voldemort and how they all have incredibly abusive upbringings and they are all given a chance at hogwarts and they all choose different paths harry choosing good and to always love Voldemort choosing evil and to never love and Snape kind of choosing evil but he does love someone and he flip-flops in between and he's kind of meant to be the in-between between them and I think that a big theme throughout the books like and it came up a lot in book two and it comes up throughout the series is that Harry could have been Voldemort he was just as 
well not just as abused he didn't he had James and Lily right at the beginning of life but he grew up under very difficult circumstances and Harry chooses again and again and again to love people even though that is again and again and again the harder choice like Harry loving people is not an easy thing for him to do it would have been easier if he went with Draco in book one and I think that's a big theme of Harry Potter and I think my problem with the love potion theory is it completely goes against that and that's what's always irritated me about it is it therefore ruins that whole thing in Harry Potter of choice and I think that comes up again and again and again of Harry's choices and I just don't like what it does to that theme is the reason why I hate it yeah that's really interesting because that's why I like it (laughs) because I think that Voldemort so many times especially in the films but obviously also in the books falls into this trap of just being this really shit villain Mm. because he is just evil yeah he just is he's got no motivation no reason aside from I know you could argue that he's had this like horrible upbringing blah 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 but it's just you know so did Harry yeah and it's just no reason he's just really fucking evil for no reason especially in the films where we don't get this whole backstory yeah and I just think that shit it's why Umbridge is like a better better villain villain. she's so much more nuanced but I just really hate a shit villain that is evil just because because I love a good villain yeah I love a good villain like i actually recently lauren tried to call me out hi lauren um because i've i've been reading the akatar series which is a great series for anyone if you want to read some fairy porn but she tried to call me out because she was like you realize that you keep making all of the villains queer because i kept i'd come across like a new character Mm. or like a new monster or whatever and i'd be like well they're gay or like well they're trans and i'm like i'm like okay first of all i'm not because i'm also doing that with all of the good characters i'm (laughs) I'm just doing it with all characters they are all queer there's two of them that are straight the rest are queer sure um dm me if you want my thoughts on (laughs) the sexualities of all of the akatar characters um and then secondly i love villains that's why i want them to be queer because i love queer people and i love villains and i'm like these are the best characters i want them to be like me but anyway that's a whole tangent but i i love a good villain i love a good monster but i don't like it when it's just mindless like oh he just decided to be evil like i don't like that and Mm. what i prefer is this idea that it is both nature and nurture because Mm. especially when you consider what Voldemort is at the end of the day he's a serial killer and when you look at a lot of the like the research and the science and the psychology behind serial killers it's always two factors well not always but 99.9% of the time there are two factors one they have a certain genetic predisposition like they've done brain scans on them and they've actually found Mm. that that and that's not to say that if you have that trait there are obviously loads of people that have that trait and Mm. are delightful non-violent human beings but it's that combination of having that genetic predisposition and then being abused Mm. typically is what creates so it's not it's not you're a bad person if you have this gene or you're going to be a bad person if you're abused. It is like the combination of the two. And then even then, obviously, there's a lot of people that go through that and don't become horrendous, horrible pieces of shit. But I think that's why I prefer this reading of Voldemort, that it is the combination of the nature and the nurture. Because one, it adds nuance to 
you know, why he made those decisions. It's not just that, you know, he's just a cranky dude um, that loves murder. And then also because it just makes him, like, more realistic. And I think he's a shit villain because he's so unrealistic at times. Yeah. So it's interesting because the reason you hate it is why I like it. Because I get that it's about choice. And I think that's a really, really good point. But for me, it's like, yes, all of those characters make choices. But why? <laughs> why is Voldemort just like, I have so much beef? Because <laughs> he just does. He really hated that <laughs> he orphanage. Just, he just chooses to be evil and commit genocide. Yeah, sometimes you just want to kill sometimes people. Sometimes you wake up in the morning and you choose to commit some genocide that yeah. day. I do it all the time. Yeah. I think, yeah, my hatred of it all comes down to book seven. And I think mainly that line that I love, which is when Harry describes himself, Voldemort and Snape as the three lost boys of Hogwarts. Mm. I think there's something, yeah. And it again comes up with that speech about Dumbledore about like, it's the difference between walking to an arena with your head held high and being pushed in. Yeah. Like, I think there's a lot in Harry Potter to do with choice. But yeah, like, there's this constant argument in everything of nature versus nurture. And I do like that it's kind of from what you were saying about the love potion isn't necessarily therefore he would have been evil. It's just another factor and that factor in combination with the abusive background. Yeah. Could be the reason why he's evil. So that's the love potion thing Voldemort then finishes off by being like yeah yeah Marvolo died before Morphin returned and then Morphin just lived there on his own and he also confirms that once Tom ran away he never tried to contact Marope again or never tried to track down his child Dumbledore says Harry's allowed to tell Ron Hermione which as I've said before it's him acting like Harry can have a support system but I actually think his Dumbledore like nah I know you're gonna might die so I need He's to like, set up I'm another two people backup backup people and Harry then actually being observant for once is like that's the same ring hey, there's a ring on the table and Dumbledore's like yeah I got a three days a few days before picking you up and Harry's like did you injure your hand at the same time and Dumbledore's like yeah but I'm still not gonna tell you get out of my office yeah. <laughs> Harry being so observant well oh, done character development oh, and that's the end of that lovely lovely chapter yep we have a question I believe we do we have two in fact why do we have two because someone asked us two and I didn't want to say <laughs> no <laughs> excellent so these are from Mika. I'll read the first one. The first one is about time travel. Have you looked more into the theory of time travel in Harry Potter after recording the episodes? No, we researched nothing. And if not, would you be interested in doing so? No, we haven't, but Neil has. Because <laughs> yeah. he is the time travel expert. When's Neil coming on for this I book? just asked him that and he said he doesn't know. <laughs> He's a, And then I said, give me a specific chapter. And he said, I did last time. he's gonna wait ages and then we're already gonna have done it yeah i know god i hate neil i know a few years back i got the book time travel and harry potter by richard h jones as a christmas gift and it was a very fun read i'm gonna buy that for neil thanks for the recommendation also curious what your visiting try and travel nerd would think about it well thanks for the rec i'm gonna buy it for him I haven't done any more research, but I think that I now often use, based on how deep we went in that episode, mm. the Harry Potter time travel as like my my baseline for time travel, and I compare all other instances of time travel I encounter to it. Yeah. And I also enjoy making Neil explain all forms of time travel to me now. 
is, is that your foreplay yeah i'm just yeah. like explain time travel no but yeah i, I compare what was that hand gesture <laughs> and where was that <laughs> what, what body part <laughs> chin <laughs> that's your foreplay you just you mean his chin yeah okay. um yeah i think i use harry potter as like my 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 touchstone of time yeah. travel just because it's the one i know best yeah i definitely think i didn't know a huge amount of time about time travel before that and it definitely has ruined so many things for me yes i think not because i thought that things made sense before because obviously there are some time travel you always know in a way it doesn't make any sense but it's more that now I think about it so much and I just yeah I it it when you watch other things it does make it stand out how good Harry Potter's time travel was it's just fantastic um, yeah I've just thought for season eight we shouldn't do a full Cursed Child episode because we don't want to do that but we should do an episode only focusing on the time traveling Cursed Child with Neil yes absolutely so not talking about the whole thing just time travel just yeah. with neil but People yeah I, I, I still don't know a huge amount about time travel but definitely doing that episode has just made me just whenever i watch anything now with time travel in like oh my god and i love okay i love umbrella Aca- umbrella academy but watching that and like if you haven't watched it you need to watch it it's incredible um but watching that i'm just like oh my god i've got a headache <laughs> The next question was about fan fiction. Through the years, I've read lots and lots of fan fiction. Iconic. Though most of them have been enjoyable, note where the exceptions include Snape and the giant squid Smutfic. I can't say I remember most of them. One of my all-time favourites and go-to fanfic recommendations is Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality. Have you read it? No. If not, I suggest it for a special episode. I'll look into it, Mika. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, we should add that to our Patreon bonus episode list. 100%. Fan fictions that have actually stuck with me. I mean, as you guys know, recently I read All the Young Dudes. That stuck with me. Back in the day, just after the seventh film came out, I read Dumbledore's Army in the Year of Darkness. And that has always stuck with me because it's actually like very cleverly written that it fits in with canon. But it's hogwarts whilst harry ron hermione away horcrux hunting but yeah i'm not the biggest fan fiction reader but i agree that any that i did read back in the day have just faded into obscurity apart from kind of those two yeah i've not read anything in over a decade nothing i would remember to be able to quote not quote but say what it is the only thing that's ever stuck with me is one really hot my Draco sex scene. <laughs> but not in, sadly not in enough that I could ever go back and, and find it. And it also was like, I would be like 13 reading this. So like the sex probably didn't make any sense because I didn't know how sex worked as we know from my fan fiction at that age. Yeah. But um, so I'm pretty sure if I were to somehow ever find it now, I'd be like... That's not hot. That's not uh, hot. Sexes. But you know, they were making out in a hallway, shoved up against a wall. When Woo-hoo! you're 13, that That's is hot. Um, I had did also last year read because uh, my TikTok was full of Dramini stuff, and I was like, "Would you stop? Okay, I'm going to read one to see what it was." And I read Manacled, and I have many feelings about it. So DM me if you want to talk about that because or I another bonus app. We can talk about Dramini. Dramione. Well, yeah. Manacled is this like half a million word fan fiction. Jesus I, Christ. It's not quite that. It's about 300,000. Um, and I read it and some people had been saying on BookTok that it was the best piece of fiction they'd ever read. You're wrong. Um, 
we can talk about that or you can DM me. Okay. Thanks for the questions, Mika. Thank you. I, I really know. hope that was actually Mika. So no offence to the Mika actually is if you're not Mika Mika. We just I still love, love Mika, you. Mika. Um, I just hope that you're the pop star Mika. Everybody's gonna love today, love today, love today. Right, I am literally a ball of sweat. Same. And this is the end. Thank you so much for listening. Bye! Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Goblet of Wine. To find us on social media, search at Goblet of Wine Pod on Twitter or at Goblet of Wine Podcast on Instagram. We also have a website over at www.gobletofwine.co.uk where you can keep up with everything that we do. This podcast is produced by our wonderful Hufflepuff tier patrons. Yolanda, Thomas, Sir Bandersnatch, Samuel, RMG, Patrick, Nick, Lewis, Layla, Catherine, Christopher, Ashley, Ash, and Emily. If you'd like to support this podcast, check out our Goblet of Wine Patreon, where you can also gain access to bonus episodes, behind-the-scenes content, and our Discord. Thank you so much for listening to this episode, and we'll see you in the next one. Bye! Bye.